Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Simeon Cohen and today we will be studying Masachet Psachim Daf Kuf Chet, page 108. After a lengthy discussion which begins on 107b regarding when one must stop eating on Erev Pesach and when one is allowed to eat in relation to the Mincha Gedola offering which is given on Erev Pesach, the Gemara moves on to the next part of the Mishnah, which deals with the obligation to recline at a Passover Seder. The Mishnah, which was introduced all the way back at the beginning of the parak on page 99, but is requoted here, says, Even the poorest of Jews should not eat on Erev Pesach at a Pesach Seder until he reclines. The discussion now moves to exactly which parts of the meal actually require one to recline in order for them to be consumed. Itamar matzah tzarich maror in tzarich It's agreed that matzah does require reclining. In order for one to eat matzah, one must recline. But bitter herbs, maror in tzarich do not require one to recline. And in regards to wine, there's actually a very interesting machloket. It's not a disagreement between two different sages, but it's actually a disagreement regarding what Rav Nachman said about whether or not it's an obligation for one to recline, recline while drinking wine. So here, Rav Nachman is actually engaged in a machloket with himself, interestingly enough. Yain itmar mishme de Rav Nachman, the itmar mishme de Rav Nachman, ain't sarichasiba. With regard to wine, it was stated in the name of Rav Nachman that wine does indeed require reclining. And it was also stated in the name of Rav Nachman that wine does not require reclining. So it seems like there's an inherent contradiction here in what Rav Nachman is trying to convey. On the one hand, Rav Nachman says that wine doesn't require reclining. On the other hand, he says it does. Which is it? Does, do we need to recline when drinking wine or not? In its infinite wisdom, the Gemara enlightens us here and tells us that in fact there is no contradiction between these two seemingly opposing views of Rav Nachman. The La Plige, the Gemara says, Ha betarte kase kamae, ha betarte kase betrae. These two statements do not disagree with one another. This statement, the first statement of Rav Nachman, which says that one is required to recline while drinking wine, is in regards to the first two cups. And this statement, the second statement of Rav Nachman, which says that one does not need to recline while drinking the wine, is in reference to the last two cups. So the next logical question which should be asked is, what's different about the first two cups from the last two cups? Why is it necessary to recline while drinking the first two cups, but not necessary to recline while drinking the last two cups? As the Gemara tells us, Tre kase kamae, bao hasiba, the hashtahu deka matchalala cherut. The first two cups require reclining, as it is now, and it is, as it is during this point in the Seder, at the beginning, when freedom begins. Since reclining is clearly a sign of freedom, an indication that we're free, when we're engaging in a discussion of the exodus from Egypt, 
it's appropriate to recline while drinking wine. The Gemara goes on to tell us, Tre kase betrae la bau hasiba, mai dehava hava. The last two cups do not require reclining, because what already was was mai dehava hava. In other words, the discussion of the Exodus from Egypt has already transpired. That's already happened. So at this point in the Seder, it's been established that we're free. It's no longer necessary to recline while drinking. What has happened has happened, and zeu. Of course, this is only one view. The Gemara goes on to tell us the Amri la lahai gisa, adraba trekase batrai bau hasiba, and some say that it is on the contrary that it's the last two cups which require reclining. Hahi shata havya as at that time there is freedom. In other words, when we drink the first two cups, it has not yet been established that we obtained freedom, that we're free. We're still telling the story of the Exodus. Uh, so it's only after we drink the first two cups that we actually have freedom. So we should only drink the last two as free people. And the Gemara goes on to clarify this. As it says, Tre kase kamai la bau hasiba, kati avadim hainu kamar. The first two cups do not require reclining, as we're still saying the words avadim hayinu, we're still referring to ourselves as slaves. So it wouldn't make sense to symbolically represent ourselves as being free while still discussing the fact that we were slaves in Egypt. So a machloket has been presented. One view is that we recline while drinking the first two cups, and the opposing view is that we recline while drinking the second two cups. So the Gemara, of course, needs to broker some type of compromise. Now that it was stated so, and it was stated so, in other words, two different conflicting opinions were given, and it's not clear which is the correct opinion, the Gemara determines that one must recline while drinking both sets of cups. Both sets of cups require reclining, as this is the only way for the rabbis to be sure that they have covered their bases. In fact, in the Shulchan Aruch, Yosef Karo codifies that one must recline while drinking all four cups of wine. And if one drinks any of the four cups without reclining, he's actually obligated to drink that cup again. Tosfot actually expressed a similar view in one of their comments on Daf Kufchet. As they say, All four cups require reclining at the time of their drinking. But they go on to say that if one forgets to recline while drinking either the third or fourth cup, it's actually not necessary for that person to return to the cup and re-drink it. Lechachila, it's best for a person to recline for all four cups, but Badeavad, after the fact, if they forget to recline for the last two cups, it's not necessary, according to Toso, for them to go back and re-drink those cups. The Gemara now moves into a discussion about what actually constitutes halachic reclining. Lying down is not considered reclining nor is reclining to the right. Free men tend to not recline to the right because people prefer reclining on their left and using their right hand to eat. It's more difficult to do it the other way around. Moreover, there was concern that if one leaned to the left, one's food would go down the wrong pipe, which could lead to the person choking. We now come to a part of the daf, which may be mildly offensive to our modern sensibilities, but I think is important to discuss. Isha etel ba'ala a woman who is with her husband is not required to recline 
but if she is an important woman, an isha chashuva, she is required to recline. Why are non-important women not required to recline? The rationale behind this seems to be the fact that women, who are often busy with housework, aren't considered to be entirely free. So some commentators suggest that women who aren't entirely free due to their obligations to maintain the household should not symbolically represent themselves as being free. Important women, on the other hand, theoretically have people to take care of their housework for them or they themselves are just not involved in housework. So for them, it's acceptable to represent themselves as being free. It's okay for them to recline. Much later, however, the Tosafists ruled that it was actually okay for all women to recline as all women could be considered important women. Every Isha was an Isha Chashuva. However, we know that this ruling was not universally accepted as Moshe Israelis in his gloss on the Shulchan Aruch tells us that women do not actually customarily recline at the Seder, which was based on the opinion of the Rav Yah. So we know that even if the Tosfos did rule that all women could be considered important women, that it was okay for them to recline, this may have not been the custom that was accepted in Poland where Israelis was writing and living. Um, so even though that was a major view, it wasn't necessarily a universally accepted view. Regardless of whether or not the view that all women are important was universally accepted, and despite the fact that the Gemara itself seems to say that most women are exempt from the, exempt from the obligation to recline, it's clear that the rabbis are trying to make the practice of reclining during Pesach as inclusive as possible. The next question which is brought to our attention is whether or not a student has the obligation to recline before his teacher. Since a student is subject to the authority of his teacher, a student isn't considered to be entirely free and thus it wouldn't be appropriate for the student to <clears throat> symbolically represent freedom via reclining in the presence of his teacher. Abaye now tells an interesting story to help answer this question. Tashma Amar Abaye, come hear this proof, said Abaye, and he goes on to tell the story. Ki havenan beimar, zagenan abirke dahadare. Once, presumably on Pesach, we were in the house of my master, Rabbah, and there was not enough room for everyone to recline, so we, were, we reclined on each other's knees in order to fulfill the obligation. So clearly, if this was what was practiced in Rava's house, Rava was of the opinion that it was actually an obligation for students to recline before their teachers. He was the teacher, and his students were in his home, and they went so far as to recline on each other's knees so they could fulfill the obligation to recline. However, later, they went to the house of Rav Yosef, and this is what he said to them. You need not recline. You are exempt from the obligation to recline as the fear of your teacher is like the fear of heaven. In other words, according to Rav Yosef, being before your teacher is the equivalent of feeling yirat shamayim, fearing, feeling the fear of heaven. And when you feel that, you're never really free. So a student who is before his teacher is exempt from the obligation to recline. Migmara now goes on to discuss whether or not a shamash, like an attendant or a waiter, is obligated to recline while eating on Erev Pesach. It could be argued that since the shamash is serving the meal, he isn't exactly free, or shouldn't necessarily be considered free in the same way that everyone else at the meal is free. But the Gemara goes on to decide that the Shamash should ultimately be considered free on Pesach, and thus he is obligated to recline. The text now moves on to a discussion regarding who precisely is obligated to drink the four cups of wine on Pesach. The Marabi Yeshua ben Levi, 
נשים חייבות בארבע כוסות הללו, שאף הן היו באותו הנס. And Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, Women are obligated in these four cups, as they too were included in the miracle of the Exodus. Of course, the general rabbinic principle is that women are exempt from mitzvot ha-sesh positive time-bound commandments, but in certain circumstances, exceptions are made, this of course being one of them. The Gemara here tells us that the rabbis obligate women to perform this positive time-bound commandment because they too were included in the miracle. Hen they too were also in the same miracle. But Tosfot, however, say that the reason women are included here is because they were in as much danger as men, and they should be allowed to celebrate their freedom to the same degree as men. After continuing on with the discussion about how much wine needs to actually be in the cup, and whether or not a diluted cup of wine constitutes the drinking of a cup, the sages close the daf with a brita. Tanarabanan, we learn in a Brita, all are obligated in these four cups, including men, women, and children. Now we all know that the rabbis are not always as egalitarian or democratically minded as we might like them to be. In fact, I don't think it would be unfair to characterize their system as oligarchic or plutocratic in nature. The rules of the system were dictated by the elite few who found themselves at the system's head. They were often hierarchical and viewed people as existing on different social strata. This can clearly be understood when one examines the types of questions the rabbis ask on this very daf. Are women obligated in the mitzvot of Pesach? What about students and waiters? For the rabbis, it was clear that not all people were entitled to equal treatment. However, this staff can also be seen as a divergence from the classical rabbinic hierarchical approach. The inclusive mode of thinking on this staff begins with the text of the Mishnah, which tells us that even the poorest of Jews should not eat on Passover until they have reclined. It goes on through a discussion of whether or not women, students, and servants should be obligated to recline, and concludes with the Brita that tells us that all people, including men, women, and children, are obligated in the four cups of wine. We often view Chazal as being closed-minded and misogynistic, and opposed to the liberal values of egalitarianism and inclusivity, values which we, contemporary liberal Jews, hold so dearly. But here is an example where they go in the opposite direction. When it comes to something as deeply existentially significant as Yetziat Mitzrayim, and remembering and acknowledging that despite where we find ourselves in life, we are no longer slaves in Egypt, the rabbis seem to feel that all differences are put aside, and for once, we're all treated equally. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoyed studying with me today. Please join me again tomorrow for page 109. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.